a statement, what a truth, what a powerful, powerful thing to understand this morning. I am so blessed by that special. That was just wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, we are kind of wrapping up a new series this morning, and I'm glad that you are here. We are going through the book of Song of Solomon, and we are just kind of finishing things out. But this morning, I got to admit, I got to make a confession this morning. I don't really think I'm here. I think I'm having an out-of-body experience. I don't think I'm really awake yet. Anybody else feel me that you're just like, I don't know if I'm completely awake. Okay, good. There's a few of us. All right. Excellent. Okay. Um, uh, I, the venti was not enough this morning of coffee. I think I just needed to drink the whole pot, but I just didn't have time. So here's what we're going to do. Can we all stand for a second? And uh, uh, what we're going to do is you got to find five people and you got to give them a high five. Five people, give them a high five. You got to find five people. Wake up, get the blood flowing. Five people. Find five people, find five people, give them that high five, give them that welcome, get that blood kind of flowing, and uh, thank you so much for standing. Now you can be seated, all right? You, you kind of got the little blood circulating and just kind of got to greet some people this morning. Glad you are here. Hopefully you found a comfy seat, and uh, we're going to dive right into the Word of God this, this morning, and um, really looking forward to the truths that we're going to hear. I do have to say, though, um, I was stressing out this week because... We kind of need to wrap up the series, and I kind of don't want to. There's so much more that I kind of need to bring and deliver. And so this morning, if we get through it all, that's great. If we don't, we may pick it up after next week. Next week's going to be a very special week in the history of our church. It's basically what we call is a missions emphasis. Uh, Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And our church is all about taking the gospel, not just to San Jose, not just to the south side, uh, but all around the world, and we do that through strategic partnerships, and uh, there are people that we partner to, and what we do on a month-to-month basis is we send them support financially, as well as prayers, and we keep in contact with them. Well, we've invited some more people that we would like to strategically partner with. Some will be going to the Philippines. Uh, one is involved in World, world Vision, which is to help um, uh, not only human trafficking, orphanages. They're going to be here uh, next week. We've got one. She's a single lady who's going to go, I think, South America. Just incredible who we're going to have next week. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have a special time at 9.30 next week to just have a special time together. They're going to have some testimonies, presentations, kind of share their story. Because you know our service is kind of limited. Our services are typically about 70 minutes. And so next week, if you can make it at 9.30, we'll talk a little bit more. But it's going to be a special time in the history of our church and what we can do. Because God is doing something. We want to be a part of what God is doing, not just in San Jose, but also in and around the world. Well, if you have your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter number 6. Song of Solomon, chapter number 6. And if you don't, that's all right. We put the scripture not only in your worship guide, it'll also be up on the screen, okay? We're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I'm going to read 11 verses, okay? 11 verses as we dive in this morning. And we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we saw that this couple, this romantic, this 
uh, kind of almost makes you want to throw up how perfect this couple is. They finally got into an argument, and we were like, yes, I'm not the only one. And we all felt really good that we are now normal, because even in the Bible, there's messed up couples, all right? And even in the Bible, there's people that get in conflict and argument. And they didn't just get in an argument. You saw that there's some uh, pretty devastating things that happened, but... It shook the relationship, but it didn't break the relationship. And so we saw how God can use conflict and how conflict can still work together in a marriage. And we saw that last week. Well, we're picking up right after that in chapter number six. In verse number one, here's what the Bible says. And this isn't the Shulamite woman. There's several characters involved in the book of Song of Solomon. You have King Solomon, who is the writer and author and then you also have the woman that he loves. And she's simply, we don't have a first name. It's called the Shulamite woman. And that's kind of speaking more of her ethnicity and the Shulamite woman. And then you have just kind of these other characters that would just kind of chime in. Well, these are those other characters that are just kind of chiming in in verse number one. It says, wherefore is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? So she, after chapter five, remember he was in the mood for romance and she was not in the mood. She had a headache. And so um, all of a sudden he, he kind of knocks on the door and she's like, forget it. Um, um, my feet are washed. And she said, uh, should, I, should I put on my robe again? And she's saying, you know, I, I'm not no, you should have been here earlier, you know, uh, that boat has sailed, okay? And so all of a sudden, instead of getting upset and instead of feeling rejected, what he does is he puts some myrrh on the doorknob and then when he leaves, all of a sudden, something very amazing happens. This woman changes her mind. All of a sudden, now she does want him. Now she does want him to come back, but he's gone, all right? And so she goes out and pursues him. Well, in chapter six, she hasn't found him yet, okay? But notice in verse number two, something interesting, okay? Verse number two, the women of the city in verse one asked her, hey, we're going to help you find Solomon. But notice what she said in verse number two. My beloved is gone into the garden. She knew where he went. She knew. She knew where he was. She knew her husband. She knew things about him. And this isn't part of the message, but there needs to be this ever, ever learning, ever purposeful saying, I want to get to know this person, learn more about them, study them and know them, anticipate them to know where they go, to know what they do, to just kind of be able to count on them. She knew Solomon. She said he's gone down to the beds of spices to feed in the garden, to gather lilies verse number three i am my beloved's and my beloved is mine he feedeth among the lilies and then she goes to the garden verse number four this is where he sees her he says this is solomon thou art beautiful O my love as tirza comely as jerusalem terrible as an army with banners turn away mine thine eyes from from thee for they have overcome me thy hairs as a flock of goats that appear from gilead what a great pickup line your hairs like goats thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing whereof every one beareth his twin you're not missing any teeth you have them all you're not a hillbilly all right he likes this this is what you know he's excited about as a piece of pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks? There are three score, and I don't quite get this, but let me explain it. There are three score queens, 60 queens, and 80 concubines, virgins and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled is but one. He's saying, hey, there's all these women, but I choose you. 
I don't know how that made her feel better, but somehow it did. Guys, don't ever do it. Say, hey, there's all these girls, babe, in the mall, but I'm looking at you. Like, there's so many other attractive ones, so many other available, but I got eyes for you. You know, it just, I don't see how it works, but it works for him, okay? That's just maybe a cultural thing, all right? I'm just saying, don't try it. Now, verse number nine. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, they praised her. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army? You say, that's, that's awful. Why would he say she's terrible? Terrible in that day and age meant majestic. You say, well, why didn't he just come out and say that? Well, man, he, long way about it so he's saying you're majestic as an army with banners and then it says i went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded he went to the garden basically for one thing to see the new growth it's springtime he wanted to go to the garden and see the new growth i've entitled this message how to refresh the romance you see in life in marriage is very much like a garden. And too often, like you've seen homes, maybe in a neighborhood, you can see that their garden, their landscape has been neglected. You can see families and marriages that were also neglected. And you can see that weeds and thorns and um, other things have grown up. The trees and the bushes are unkept, untrimmed, and now it just looks like kind of a mess and that's where solomon is saying no no i went to the garden to see the new growth to see how the garden has been tended and this morning i want us to challenge us this morning to see about the new growth in the relationship i don't care if you've been married five days or 50 years there should constantly be a driving sense that we want to see new growth in the relationship that we want to see fresh flowers that we want to see a beautiful garden that we're ever working and i will tell you this i don't necessarily have a green thumb but i know how to pull weeds and i know how to just kind of trim back the hedges and kind of make things look presentable but i want you to understand the one thing i know about gardening is it takes work I'm not a farmer, but I remember my dad bought a tractor when we lived on 10 acres because he thought he was going to be a farmer. And I remember him wanting to plow the fields. I remember that that was also a lot of work. So when it comes to your marriage, if you think, hey, I said I love you when we got married, and if my mind changes, I'll tell you. But until then, don't worry about it. I don't have to keep saying it. No, no. A marriage is like a garden that constantly needs to be tended, and they're constantly going to be checking for new growth if we are going to see a constant refresh of the romance we started this series and we were talking about how the relationship how how god brings us together and then the next week we talked about hey there's expectations in the relationship and last week we talked about how there is the conflict in a relationship and how we navigate that well this week we're really going to dive into what happens when we've lost the spark the twinkle what happens when it seems like the magic is lost and what happens when it seems like the romance isn't there? I want to challenge you before you just say, I'm done, let's sign the papers and let's start over. I want to challenge you to say there is still a chance to revitalize, to see this come back, to see this marriage, see this relationship come back to life. And that's what happens in this passage. Chapter 5, big blow up, big argument. Chapter 6, he says, I'm going to the garden because I want to see the new growth. Throughout the book of Song of Solomon, the garden 
pictured the relationship. And he was going to check how something had grown to see the flowers that had budded. And in your relationship, how is it going? Like Sahara Desert, uh, you know, uh, tropical rainforest, or man, mine looks better than Gilroy Gardens, the old Bonifante Gardens. I mean, it's awesome, it's great what we've got going on, and it's exciting, and that may be good, but there constantly needs to be that challenge. And we said this when we started the series falling in love is easy, it requires a pulse, but staying in love requires a plan. And if you in your relationship are going to constantly say, hey, I want to have this, this refresh of the romance, it's going to take a plan. It's going to take work. And don't think that you can just check out and think, well, all right, my marriage is just kind of put it on autopilot and just kind of see what happens. And we can see couples that that's what happens. They both have their careers. They have their jobs. They have their lives. And they don't really connect. There was a study done in, in Germany about German couples. I'm fascinated with German history. I'm, I'm German. And so it started out that when a couple would get married once they got into the rhythm of marriage the rhythm of life they were talking 30 minutes per day together 30 minutes 10 minutes in the morning before they went to work and at dinner for another 20 minutes 30 minutes per day they said after eight years of marriage they were down to 10 minutes per day and they said after 30 minutes of marriage they no longer spoke to one another how sad is that today we live in a day where communication it seems like is such a big thing but it seems like something we just kind of, we just neglect. And that can affect our marriages. As I thought back over this relationship, and as I looked at it, I was amazed by verse number four. He said, why? Why were you amazed? Because she kind of left him high and dry. She kind of just, well, I don't want anything to do with you. And he goes off. He's like, okay, I'll give you your space. But notice, verse number four is the first time he talks to the Shulamite woman. What are the very first words out of his mouth? You're beautiful. Isn't that amazing? They just had this conflict, this blow up in chapter number five. And the first thing when he finally gets to have a conversation with her, it's not like, well, I hope you feel better. I hope you're okay. I slept on the couch. I hope you had a good night's rest. It wasn't, hmm, you owe me an apology. It wasn't, okay, I see. That's how you're going to do me? Okay, I see how it goes. No. The first words out of his mouth is, well, girl, you look good. (laughs) I don't care about what happened the other day, but, um, you know, hey, you know, my calendar is clear. And he's saying, hey, look, it's it's okay. That that doesn't matter. And he has this great ability to communicate to her. And I feel like we've lost that, that ability to communicate, that ability to talk to that person, that ability to share with that person your innermost thoughts and dreams and desires. My wife and I, we went on a date and uh, we were talking about, it's amazing that if you don't think about what you're going to talk about, you don't know what to talk about. You say, why? Because you, you either talk about the kids, you talk about work, you talk about what needs to get done, but you don't talk about, hey, what's going on in your life right now? How are you feeling right now? What are you dreaming about? What are you praying about? What are you excited? What are you afraid of? How's our relationship? And what can happen is our relationships, we don't talk through those things. We don't communicate. I'll tell you, this is probably the biggest struggle for me. I communicate for a living. I try and take the precious, powerful word of God and take its profound truths and try to present them in a way that anybody, whether they're a believer or a non-believer, can take the word of God and to apply it to their lives and be transformed by it. Even though that's my life's goal is to be a good communicator, I struggle at this constantly. Constantly have to work at communication. Why? Because I found out something. Women don't communicate like men. 
And men don't communicate like women. Men, have you, ever, have you ever done this? You come home and you sense that something is wrong. You just know something's up. So what do you do? You say, is anything wrong? And what does she say? No. no. Liar! There's obviously something wrong. Like, I can sense it. And then if you say, if you call them on it, oh, don't call them on it. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's just, that's not going to help the situation. So when they say, and it's a communication thing that I just, it threw me for a loop because I just kind of want to say it. Hey, what's, what's, what's irritating you? Let's fix this. You know, what do we need to do? Let's talk this through. How can we solve the problem? No, 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 no. It's um, read my mind and figure out why I'm upset. Read your mind and figure it out. Okay. All right, let me get my little crystal ball and let me see your palms. I'm sorry. I don't know how does this thing work. I can't really read your mind, but it's because of communication. And we can fight and we can struggle and we can have this conflict in our marriage because of a lack of communication. Or we can understand this, that there is code and communication. And women speak in code. They do. You say, what do you mean they speak in code? Men, when they speak, they report the facts. Women communicate emotion. That's what they're doing. That's why they, when they're talking to someone else, they're communicating how they feel and what's going on. Because God, left brain, right brain, God designed them that way where they're using both sides. So they feel things and they say things. And so sometimes I can come out in that code speech of what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Well, immediately something is wrong. Now it's up to us, the men, to kind of step back and say, okay, let me decipher this, okay? This is an enigma that I've got to figure out, okay? And uh, uh, let me see what I can do to decipher this because communication is key in the relationship. But instead of figuring out that there's a code and communication, we just give in to frustration. And we just, why don't you just communicate like me? And why don't you just think like me? No, we can do that and we would frustrate each other. Here's Solomon throughout the book, not just here. He's learned how to properly communicate to his spouse. It's an ongoing art that constantly needs to be perfected and fine-tuned. And I said this last week at our growth group. I said when it comes to speech, it's so important. And uh, in Proverbs 18, verse number 21, the Bible says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, in our speech. So if death and life are in the power of our tongue, in our communication, we better understand how to use that. But too often, we use it as a tool of manipulation to cut and condemn. And we use these communication killers instead of communication builders. Communication killers are sarcasm. Sarcasm. Would you take out the trash? All right, I'll take out the trash. We just kind of get real sarcastic, and that just doesn't help communication. Or we do the imitation thing. They say something, and we repeat it back to them. Like, what are we, five again on the playground? But it's like, we'll do these things, and I'm making light of some things, but the reality is, when it comes to communication, when we're not getting through, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. One author said it like this. It's almost like you and your spouse speak two totally different languages. Totally different. Like, they speak Japanese, and you speak, I don't know, Canadian. And uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's just it's like, it's so foreign, and um, it's one of those things where you're just like, I, I can't get through to this person. I'm trying to understand them, but I, but I just don't understand them and what's going on. And it leads to this frustration. And what happens when we're frustrated because we're not getting through, we typically turn up the volume, don't we? Like as if, as if what I'm saying at this tone is going to get clearer if I say it at this tone. But we do it to our spouse. We think, well, they didn't get it the first time, 
So let me get louder and maybe they'll get the message. And that only makes it worse. But yet, maybe you're like me and you're very slow to learn that. And maybe you're thinking, well, it didn't work the last 1,000 times, but hey, 1,001's the charm. You know, here I go again. And we just keep trying this broken form of communication instead of understanding that there is a code and there is this communication factor and how am I going to communicate with them? And I want to say this, and you can write this down on the side. Hey, tune in when it comes to communication. Tune in. Tune in to the person you're talking to, but then tone it down. Don't feel like you have to be blasting all decibel levels. And so the windows are rattling. The house is shaking. And so it just seems like, is there an earthquake? No, I'm just talking. I'm just trying to communicate. And so you need to tune in, tone down, but then also kind of lighten up a little bit. Step back. You're trying to communicate with the one that you say you love and you die for. That person that, that in, in this passage, I love it. He even says, hey, turn away your eyes from me. They've overcome me. He's saying, just, just the look that you give me. He says, guys, men, we're attracted by sight, and we see them, and we're just attracted to them. Women, they're attracted through uh, talking, through good communication. It changes everything. I wrote this down, and I hope you would as well. Women share, men report. Talk needs to be plentiful, needs to be personal, positive, and passionate. Keep our speech and our communication. And I know this may seem like, did I just pay for a seminar? No, you didn't. Don't worry. We'll get to the preaching a little bit. I just kind of want to lay some introductory groundwork here that will just help you. But then please write this. But don't get offended. Don't listen to what a woman says. Like I said, don't get offended. Listen to what they mean, not what they're saying. What do they mean? And too often times we're trying to say, well, you're saying this. And they're saying, well, I mean this. And you're like, well, just say that. No, they want us to interpret the meaning, find the meaning when they're talking. And that's a lost art because women use language to express emotion and then also break through casual communication. You say, what do you mean casual communication? I've seen too often that our relationships, we can get to that frivolous level. Hey, how are you doing? How was your day? How was work? Hey, how was the boss? Did you guys work that thing out that you guys had? Hey, what about that coworker that was um, stealing time and you called him out on it? What happened with that? It's just kind of frivolous. Is that where the relationship, the dialogue gets? Where it's just kind of, and if it is, when you're trying to grow closer, you'll find that you're not because the communication's not there. Not only frivolous, but sometimes we just get to the factual level. Just the facts. Just, oh, the kids are doing okay. Hey, they got a good report card, bad report card. Hey, their car, they, they need something to work on it. And we can just get factual, we can get frivolous, and we need to understand there needs to be more than just a fellowship level as well. You say, what do you mean a fellowship level? That's the level where we just kind of joke around, we just kind of have a good relationship, oh, they're like one of the buddies. But it's not ever going deeper. We need to go to a feeling level. A level where it's, hey, express your emotion. How are you feeling right now? And throughout this passage, you can see how she is feeling. In chapter number 5, in the end verses, she talks about how she's pursuing this person and how she desperately wants to find him and how she's communicating, how she feels. And all of a sudden, she's getting that deeper level. But then lastly, there's that freedom level, that level where you say, you know what, there's that complete openness where now I can say something to that person that they will not take offense at it, but they will understand that I have their love and their best interest at heart because we are at a depth and a level of communication that is so much better. And you will see the relationship get stronger as you work on this communication principle. But then notice verse number 11. It said, I went into the garden. 
You see, not only is there code and communication in a relationship, you say, I want to refresh the romance. There also needs to be weeding and seeding. You say, what do you mean? Or I can say it, pulling and planting. Constantly. Constantly working on this. Because marriages have a tendency to sprout weeds. I was amazed. I went in my backyard and how many weeds sprung up because of the rain. And so I'm just pulling weeds like crazy. Constantly pulling weeds. We pulled weeds two weeks ago and I went back to that spot where we pulled weeds. Hey, guess what? On the ground, these tiny little weeds. It's a constant process. It's constantly, constantly. This week in ministry, it just kind of seemed like not big problems, but it was like one thing after another, just little things. And one person I was talking to, they said, you know, ministry is all about blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. It's not about always big victories. It's about just the day-to-day, just handling things as they come up, blocking and tackling. Marriage is the same way, but it's weeding and pulling. It's constantly saying, hey, here's a weed. i got to pull it before it gets any bigger. Hey, I want to deal with this while it's small. Have you ever tried to pull a really big weed like it's overgrown? Isn't that pain? You're getting the shovel out, and you're trying to dig it out, and you're trying to cut it, and you're like, forget, this thing's like a tree. It's kind of a nice-looking tree. Meh, we'll just leave it. It's a cool plant. We'll just, yeah, it's all good. No, it's a weed. It's got to come out. But what do we do? We just kind of, oh, forget it. And we just let our marriage and our life, and all of a sudden, there's this gaping eyesore in the relationship, but we don't deal with it. We just kind of skirt around the issue, and we learn what's off limits about our spouse. And when you say, this is off limits, and this is my little skeleton in the closet, you don't have true intimacy. Because you know the word intimacy means, into me, I see. There's that transparency. There is that that level where you say i know that person better than anybody else and that person knows me better than anybody else and they still accept me that's intimacy that is on a whole nother level that is so much deeper and so today's society is like oh no no you want a great relationship it's all about sex you just got to have great sex you have a great relationship no you won't it's so much more than that and that's why there's this generation that's thinking, hey, it's just about great sex. That's all it is. But it's so much more. It's about intimacy. It's about transparency. It's about knowing that person. And when you know that person, there's this level of you're so unguarded, you're so transparent, and you're so vulnerable. But that person loves you in spite of your faults and your failures and your vulnerabilities. And that is the essence of love. Not something you see on a billboard, not something you see in a commercial, not something you see on television. That seems great, it's fireworks, but they don't ever show you 40, 50 years of what it takes to build a great relationship. They show you what it's like when they're in bed, and that's not the essence of a great relationship. But you'll see that promoted in movies. You'll see our kids being brainwashed. Every magazine you walk by in the grocery store, what does it say? Ten ways to have the best sex life. Uh, five ways to be the best in bed. And they think that's, that's it. That's what I need to have a great relationship. The problem is that won't sustain a relationship. Because we're never satisfied with that. And it needs to go deeper. It's weeding and seeding. It's constantly dealing with these roots. It's constantly dealing with these weeds that spring up in marriage. And saying, hey, I'm going to pull these weeds out of this marriage that could potentially hurt this marriage. And I'm dealing with this. Because guess what? Touch the person next to you and say, you're a weedy person. You're a weedy person. That's the reality of it. You married somebody with a lot of weeds, and you got to deal with that. And not like this. Don't, not that way. That's not what we're talking about. So I, got, I know a way to fix that. No. We're on a whole different wavelength. 
understand when we're saying we're going to deal with the weeds we're plugging these we're removing these we're getting the garbage out of the relationship because guess what have you ever watched your garden you've got flowers and if you let the weeds take over what happens to the flowers the trees they die you say i'll I'll just let some of this stuff go do it and watch your spouse slowly over time wither and die and then you're going to get frustrated How come you don't want to be romantic anymore? What's the matter with me? Haven't I provided a house for you? Haven't I done all this stuff for you? And they say, that's that's not what I want. And in the crux of the matter, that's not really what you want either. You want to be loved on a deeper level that nobody else loves you. You want to be known on a level that nobody else loves you. And that's the unique special connection that you want with that one person. But if you're going to let the weeds of this life just kind of keep building up and you say, I'm not going to deal with that. If your spouse keeps coming to you, say, can we please talk about this? And you're saying, no, I don't want to deal with that. I'm telling you this. When you finally do. Therapy is very expensive. Counseling is very expensive. And you're going to say, I'm going to let this grow. And I'm not against anybody getting help. Get all the help you want. I think it's good. At times I'm like, I need it. So understand that it is a good thing. I'm not undermining anybody that has to go through that or needs to go through that. That's a good thing. But you'll understand that if I would have taken care of it back then, I could have avoided some stuff. I could have avoided some hurt. So if we will right now do our due diligence and say, yes, it's work to tend a garden. Yes, it's work to tend a relationship. And that's why today's culture says, just give me sex. That's all I want. I don't want to deal with the commitment. I don't want to deal with the developing of the relationship. I just want what's mine. Guys in the locker room, they'll stand around and say, I got a piece this weekend. It sickens me. Because it's that's all they got. They got a piece. They got no strings attached, no commitment, nothing else. They don't want to deal with any of that. They just want to satisfy an urge to please themselves. To just say, instead of saying, I'm committed to this relationship, I am committed to weeding, but then not just weeding, there's got to be some planting. What are you investing into the relationship? What are you pouring back into that person? What are you blessing that person with? What are you doing to help that person come alive? Not only do you need to pull those weeds, how about plant some things? How about pour some good seed into that relationship? How about develop some things? How about calling out what is good and beautiful and wonderful in that person? Because God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what happens in a relationship, we stop telling each other that. Instead, we start tearing one another down. And instead of calling out what is holy and godly and good in that person, we just start seeing all the negative. That's all we see. It's like our mind has just focused in on every little bad thing they've ever done. Instead of calling out all that is righteous and holy and good about that person. And instead of calling them something greater. Instead of encouraging the progress. We just kind of focus on these little things. Instead of saying, I'm going to invest. I'm going to plant some good seed. I want you to understand that each person has these things in their lives that needs to be dealt with. So it comes with consistent clearing. You've got to constantly be clearing this. I don't want you to ever think that, hey, once I get to year 25 of marriage, all of a sudden, hey, we're good, right? No consistently clearing the weeds, consistently dealing with this. Oh, once we get to year 50, we're good, right? No. Ongoing, working and working. And here's what's wonderful about it. In today's generation, we don't appreciate things that have longevity. We just don't. It's sad that we don't. Today we sing some songs that some would say those are old or unfamiliar, 
But there's something good about the church being tied to something ancient. Something sacred. Something historical. Something that carries great weight and meaning. Today, we don't always value the things that are long term. You say, what do you mean? Remember when you were in junior high? Who was the coolest guy? The guy that had the little peach fuzz and he had the little mustache. There's a couple hairs. He's like, I don't need to shave. And you're like, yes, you do. Blink, got it. You're done. Good. All done. You're good. But man, he just thought he was all cool. And everybody was just like, whoa, there goes so and so. I mean, he's already growing like a full on beard, like Fu Manchu. Check him out. And it's like, man, what are you talking about? There's nothing there. It's little dirt. That's all that is. There's nothing. Go take a shower. It comes right off. But everybody thought, man, that's good because why? We love to be at the next stage and we don't appreciate this stage. We're always looking for what's next, what's better, what's bigger. And instead of saying, wait a minute, what's good now? They don't understand that that guy that had that five o'clock shadow in junior high, he becomes a very hairy man later on. It was cool at one time, but then later on, you want to shave that back? No, thank you. So understand that there is this process where we're just like, I just want to go to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Instead of saying, what is God doing now? And appreciate those things that have that longevity. And appreciate the relationships and saying, hey, I want something that goes the distance. There's something valuable about a marriage that hits you. You're 5 and you're 10 and you're 15 and you're 20 and 25. And you'll hear us honor those who have made it in marriage. And you'll hear us constantly calling you out to have a great marriage. We want you to have a powerful marriage. And on the way out, we have some stuff that we're going to give you for because we want to invest into your relationship we want you to have great relationships the best relationships possible but it takes consistent clearing it takes also careful cutting i think too often we just willy-nilly look at our spouse and we just think i'm gonna go all edward scissor hands up on there just kind of trim some stuff out and we just think we know what's best and we just think well i can i can kind of fix this you're just uh, my little picasso and and we stop and we don't remember that God says we're his masterpiece. Masterpiece. The Bible says that you were created in the image of God, the imago Dei. Image bearers of God. My wife is an image bearer of God. Your husband, your wife is an image bearer of God. Created after his likeness. And we think, oh, well, I'm just going to go in there and just kind of cut some stuff out and change and mold this. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God made them that way. He'll develop them. He'll guide them. He'll cut and he'll prune. John chapter number 15, we don't have time to go there, but the Bible says, whom he loveth, he prunes. He cuts back. He loves those people. He'll do the job of pruning. He'll do the job of cutting back. He'll do the job of bringing them to where they need to be instead of us jumping in and getting so involved. But then it also takes constantly cultivating. Your marriage is not a competition. It's a calling. And sometimes we can feel like we're in competition with another couple. The other couples, they have date night every Friday. So we're going to have ours every Friday and Tuesday. Oh, the other couple, they got more pictures on Instagram. So we got to have more pictures. And we start looking at our marriage as more of a competition than a calling. We start thinking we've got to outdo somebody else. We've got to be like somebody else. Well, their kids go to that school and our kids need to go there. They drive that car. They have that kind of relationship. They do family devotions over dinner and then they take communion and then they light incense and all their kids are are perfect little angels. And so we need to do all that. That doesn't work in our family. Constantly cultivating. It's not a competition. It's what God has given us. We're going to develop this, what God has given us. And then lastly, patience and passion. 
chapter number seven, this relationship just takes off. And if you have time to read it later on, you can read it. It's um, a little bit explicit. Be warned. But in chapter number eight, we see this book kind of wrapping up. Verse number one of chapter eight kind of starts out a little bit unique. It says this. It says, oh, that thou wert as my brother. And I was like, wow, I would hate it if James said, I wish you were just like my brother. That'd be terrible. Like just not something I would ever want to be called or go through. That would just be a very awkward moment there. So you say, well, what, what is she saying? In that day and age, public displays of affection were not couth. No PDA allowed in public. But if they were your brother, it's allowed. Not that it makes it good. Today, it would be very weird if you saw a brother and sister just kind of hugging each other and all over each other. I mean, I understand they haven't seen each other. But I mean, she's saying, I wish you were my brother. Then I could just be all over you in public. But since... We're not brothers, you know, I got to keep my hands to myself. She wants him. She wants to be all over him. She wants this relationship to be close because they have gone through some things. And now at the end, they've got this passion. But then there's been this, this, this patience. And sometimes we neglect the patience aspect of it. First Corinthians says, patience suffered long. Or love suffered long. Love is patient love bears all you see in our relationship we need to understand that there is this patience to love that if you're trying to rush this you ever gone into your garden you're like i really need these flowers to grow right now like i just need it to happen right now because i want to give some roses to my wife tomorrow so hurry up grow 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 there's nothing you can do can you it takes patience in your relationship, you may try to rush some things that it may be that you just have to let it grow. You just have to let it grow. Touch the neighbor next to you and say, let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. Because there are some things that you're just going to have to say, you know what, it's got to grow. I can't force this. I can't manipulate this. It's just got to grow. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to weed it. But it's got to grow on its own. This has got to happen on its own as I'm patient. But while you're being patient, focus on the good, not the bad. Because my fears are fueled by my focus and what can happen. And we said it earlier. We can focus on negative things. And remember, you were called to carry a burden. They're coming back to, in chapter number 8, we're almost out of time, so I've got to hurry. I apologize. They're coming back to her, her childhood home. And they're passing the apple tree. And Solomon says to her, remember that apple tree? That's where I found you resting. That's where I found you. Remember how you said, uh, uh, having Solomon in her life, she said, it's like me resting under that apple tree. You, you provide shade. You provide protection. And I feel safe under this apple tree. He was there to carry some burdens. Are you there to carry some burdens or add some burdens to your spouse? How do you wake up every day? Is it waking with uh, the thought of how can I bless my spouse today? How can I serve my spouse today? You know, this is also a picture of Song of Solomon. It's also a picture of God's love for the church and the church's love for God. Do you wake every, up every day and say, God, how are you going to bless me? Or, God, how can I serve you? What can I do to bless your children today? What can I do to bless others today? What can I do to serve somebody else? Or is it still kind of wrapped up all about ourselves? 
But too often, instead of saying, I want to help somebody else, instead of carrying a burden, we just kind of add on to their burdens. Remember that you're a debtor, not a collector. But too often, we reverse those roles, don't we? We want to collect. Your spouse owes you. My wife and I, we used to have a running joke. And um, it was called, uh, we, when we first got married, there were some things. I basically emptied the checkbook when it came to our wedding. You know, just completely broke. Broke and um, waiting on my next paycheck. And we had some money and savings. But I just said, hey, I'm pouring it all into the wedding. And then when we did, we had this joke because she had to pay for these airline tickets that we needed to get to. Because the guy who I asked to use his timeshare told me the wrong island in Hawaii. So I flew to that island. But I had already at that point, I had nothing. I had spent everything. And then so, so she was like, you're going to pay me back that 400 bucks she's held that 400 dollars over my head for six years and she's like you got to pay me with that utang you know and it's a filipino thing she's like you owe me you know and i'm just like for real like anything that happened she's just like you owe me and we're kidding but the reality is we do that to each other we become collectors what does the bible say forgive one another their debts even as christ has forgiven you you see, when you understand how much we've been forgiven, how much Christ has let us off the hook, it's very easy to say, you know what? No, I'm not a collector. I'm a debtor. Imagine how much that would have a paradigm shift in the relationship if you looked at your spouse the way you once did, where you were just like, what did I do to get this person? And the other person's like, what did I do to deserve this person? You know, why? You know? But truth be told, there was those, you ever read those letters you used to write to your spouse? You're like, oh, those are so embarrassing. My poetry was awful. I can't believe those sappy love letters that he used to write. Those were ridiculous. But have you ever read those things? That's how you felt, guys. We didn't know we had that much, and we knew that much in the English vocabulary. But we would just pour out everything. Roses are red, violets are blue, my feet are stinky, but I love you. Oh, okay, you know. And we just, we just kind of, we love the relationship. We're trying to express ourselves. And we communicate that love. And we felt like we were debtors. We didn't feel like we were worthy of that person. That's a great place to be. But what happens over time is all of a sudden we start keeping a little score. I think they owe me for this. You see, you're a debtor, not a collector. And in marriage, it's not about what you would it's about what you can. You say, well, I would treat her better if my schedule wasn't so hectic, and I would just do this, and I would just do that, and, and I would play with the kids more, but I'm just so tired, and, and I would cook him dinner, and I would do this, and I would, I would, I would, I would. What can you do? A lot of relationships just don't sit down and just say, what can we do? We've got to do something. We can't just constantly tell each other, I would have done that, but this. What can you do? What can we count on? Put the, put the expectations out there and get it down. Stop. Every, you find that every month or every other month you run into the same arguments? That is no longer a tension that you just kind of manage. That is a problem that needs to be solved. You say, what do you, what do you mean attention? Attention's good. A lot of people think it's not. Tension is good in every relationship. You say, why? Let me explain it in a simple way. Tension is good in a practical way. I would not be able to pick up this without the tension from my opposable thumb to 
push it against my index finger to hold that. That is good tension. It allows things to get done. In a relationship, men and women are so different, there's that tension. It's constantly there. It's not bad. It allows you to get things done. But what happens is we don't manage the proper tensions and we let them turn into bigger problems and then we confuse tension with the problem, with the conflict. And there, when you see that there's this tension and the tension is something you just know is there, but then when you see there's this problem we keep arguing and fighting about, then you understand this is something we need to finally deal with. We need to take care of this, not just constantly getting frustrated about this. So it's not about what you would, it's about what you can. And then lastly, marriage is not a project. It's a process. I like projects. I like to-do lists. Favorite thing, my wife's favorite thing, get the pencil, get the pen, check mark. Any of you ever done this with a list? Maybe you, you like to make lists. Any of you, you got your checklist, your task list done, but you did something extra, and you'll write it on the list just so you can cross it out? Anybody like that? Okay, there's a few of us weird people in here. Okay, yeah, exactly. Because you love the satisfaction of, I did that task, I want to cross it off. There's some victory, there's something about it. And what we could do in marriage, if we could say, I said I do, I took you on the honeymoon, I, I bought that car for you, I got you that house, I got that job, check, I'm done. And we stop the thought that this is a process. That so long as you and I are alive, we're going to keep on going. You say, how do you know this is a process? And I love this. Verse number 7 of chapter 8 says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned, saying, Hey, if anybody tried to buy our love, no, we would laugh at him, because no, we're not selling our love. Nothing can pour this, no, nothing can quench this love. This love is so special. And then at the very end of this chapter, he says, My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. And then the end, once again, going back to the analogy that it's a vineyard. Constant attendance, constant care, constant looking after. This series, I'm having a hard time wrapping it up. I really am. Because you know what my fear is, church? That the only time you're going to work on your marriage is when we do this. That's my fear. My fear is the only time you're going to pick up a marriage book is when you've had an argument. My fear, the only time you're going to reach out for help is when things have gone so far that you don't know what to do anymore. Because you forgot that your marriage is not a project. It's a process. And if you and I are going to have those awesome, intimate, amazing, um, incredible marriages we have to understand that i just can't say this is done and i can't just be the guy that just kind of well when everything when all hell breaks loose that's when i'll start doing damage control one president said the best time to repair the roof is not when it's raining it's before it hey look i'm not ignorant i'm not naive most marriages have difficulty today with 50% of marriages falling apart in circles, Christian, non-Christian, it used to be that even in Christian circles, our marriages were doing better, not so much anymore. It is a calling that I believe that God has placed on my, my life as a pastor, as a minister of the word of God, to preach and empower you to have the best passionate marriage you could possibly have. And I don't just want it while we do this series. 
And I don't want you to just think, well, 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 that closes the book on Song of Solomon. Off to whatever else we have to study. And, you know, wife, you took good notes, right? You're going you're gonna to do what they, they said, right? And we kind of throw that back in their face. As if it's their job to change. Instead of us saying, no, I'm going to take this. I'm going to work this. And by God's grace, I will not be the same person. I had lunch with a pastor this past week, and I said, I, God forbid that I'm the same person next year that I was this year. God forbid that I'm the same in my marriage. God forbid that I'm the same dad, that I'm the same parent, that I'm the same pastor. Because that means that God is not doing a work of grace and work of renewal in my heart. And if your marriage is the same last year as it was the year before, as the year before, as the year before, there's no new growth. And that should scare you. It scares me. And if you're looking at your marriage and you're not saying, what have we done? Where have we gained ground? Where are we closer? Where are we tighter? Where have we kind of, where Satan couldn't get in and cause a wedge to break this thing up? Where have we kind of checked this marriage? And where have we really dealt with it? Where have we really worked through the issues? Where have we worked through those past sins that sometimes come up to haunt us? Where have we worked through those things that were an addiction, that were a problem in our marriage? Where have we found victory over things? Where are those things that used to be those sins that, man, we just knew that those were a trigger in our relationship? That every time that happens, it just kind of whole thing went bust. I joke around with my wife. She'll say, hey, we haven't fought. And I'll say, oh, knock on wood, because as soon as you say it, we do. And it's like everything's going great, and then you say something, and it's all superstition. Instead of just saying, hey, when are we going to just keep on working, keep on working, blocking and tackling, dealing with the little things. It's constant, never stops, never stops, never stops, never stops, never stops. Your marriage never stops, constantly working on it, constantly developing it. And my fear is that you're not going to fight hard enough for the relationship because I want you to have a great relationship. I want you to have the best relationship because you and I are walking billboards for how good and how great our God is. And I want people to look at your life and think, man, I want that relationship. Look at the way that spouse loves his wife. Look at the way the wife loves and honors and respects his spouse. Look at that. I don't see that every day. I don't see it on TV. I don't even see it in the movies. Nicholas Sparks haven't written a book about something like that. That's incredible. I want that. You don't have to look at the notebook for the only romance. You can have it in your own relationship. But this is the time where we say, hey, we're broken people. We need some help. I got a long video. It's kind of long, and I want to wrap this thing up with it. Not necessarily an invitation, but it's more of just something I want you to see, and it's four minutes long. And this is going to kind of close out my message. Please don't tune out. After the video plays, I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to pray and kind of close it out. But um, right now, if you just give your attention to the screen for just about four minutes.